We're talking play calling, we're talking adjustments, we're talking offensive line, we're talking run defense, all of your burning questions. It's a mailbag episode here on Twitter Tuesday on the Locked On Vikings podcast. You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you so much for making Locked On Vikings your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. Today's episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. It's Twitter Tuesday, and I am your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL, and the show is on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. Your mailbag questions are here. There's a couple of little notes of news we also have to handle. Thankfully, you all asked about them, so we'll just do it that way. Uh, so we'll start with that, the first question of the mailbag. By the way, if you want to send mailbag questions, you can always reply to uh, on YouTube, send a YouTube comment. If you're watching on YouTube, uh, you can send me a tweet at LukeBronNFL or at LockedOnVikings or a DM. You can send an email to LockedOnVikingsPodcast at gmail.com or fill out the Google form, which is in the show notes. So the first one comes from Rorschach Cousins, who says the needle got the needle and now he has COVID. Why is Irony trying too hard with this team? <laughs> so to explain that, uh, Cameron Dantzler, also known as the needle, was placed on COVID-19 IR. Um, I actually don't know if he's vaccinated or not. That'll help with the protocol of, you know, he tested positive. So if he's asymptomatic, uh, he could be back in a couple of days. If he's actually sick and has symptoms, you kind of have to wait for those to clear, right? So I hope he gets well soon. Um, but yeah, irony, I guess, is trying hard with uh, with the Vikings. The other thing is, obviously, now you have to kind of take stock of high risk, close contacts and all that stuff. Um, if you are vaccinated, and you come in contact with an, a positive but also vaccinated person. Actually, I don't think it matters if they're vaccinated or not. If you're vaccinated and you come in contact with somebody who is positive for COVID-19, you yourself do not have to isolate by the NFL's rules. So, you know, if he hung out with Justin Jefferson, who we know is vaccinated, Justin Jefferson doesn't have to uh, isolate. If you're unvaccinated, you would have to. This is what happened with Kirk Cousins and Nate Stanley and, uh, you know, the, the Jake Browning only couple of days in training camp way back when. In the defensive back room, <laughs> who's unvaccinated? Uh, Harrison Smith is the only one we know about that, like, we know is for sure unvaccinated. Um, and that might even be old information, because since the last time we kind of took stock of this, some players have, uh, you know, changed their minds, gotten vaccinated and stuff like that. But when the quarterback room all sat out for that, like, first few days of, of training camp, that was all announced at the same time. That was all the same day transaction. I think it would have worked the same way here. So don't quote me, but I think we're in the clear on Harrison Smith. Uh, I think it's just Cameron Dantzler, and we'll see if anybody else tests positive. Obviously, uh, you know, breakthrough infections can totally happen. So whether or not somebody is vaccinated, they all can still come down with it. But the protocols will treat them differently. So we kind of have to cover it on that axis, even though I know people get like really sensitive about that. Uh, Zach Bacon says when so to explain this uh when i put out the call for questions i said i will only answer one rashad hill and christian derisaw question so make it good so i'm going with zach bacons who just said when as in when will christian derisaw replace uh rashad hill 
could be next week. I think after a performance like that, it's pretty much justified. So there were two things that needed to happen for uh, Rashad Hill to get replaced by Christian Derrissaw because Derrissaw couldn't just win the battle. He couldn't just outplay Rashad Hill in camp because he didn't play in camp. So now the dynamic changes. A, Rashad Hill has to relinquish the job, whether that's through health or by play. I think we checked that box. He was so horrific in that Browns game. I mean, he was a huge liability. And Christian Derrissaw has to be ready to play. And I, I talk about ready to play a lot. A player who is not ready to play is a is worse than the worst player you can imagine who is. It's just true. It, he'll take the wrong sets. He'll block the wrong guys. You like unblocked players. That's how you get you get unblocked players. Uh, if you put Christian Derrissaw in before he is ready, you might say, well, how can it be worse than what Rashad Hill did? Do not challenge them. Trust me. The Vikings can find a way to concoct something worse. And I think, you know, what do you give up? 10 pressures per PFF? Those would be 10 sacks. That would be worse. So, when Christian Derrissaw is ready. Now, I'm I, not in the room. I don't know when he knows the calls. I don't know when he knows the protections. That's ridiculously complicated, and it's difficult to learn, and he just needs to be given the time he, t- he needs to learn that. It's true of every single rookie. Some guys just take some time to get in, and he missed a bunch of practice, so he's probably going to be behind the curve. If you don't get to drill it, you're not going to learn it as fast as much as you can do mental reps. So when he's ready, and I think when he's ready, then you just say, sorry, Rashad Hill, you had your chance. You lost a game like by yourself against <laughs> Miles Garrett. Sorry. George says, I find it crazy how one player's injury, Cook, can derail the success of this team. Seems like it's seen more on this team, and if I remember correctly, in the Zimmer era, why is that? Other teams lose star players all the time and find a way to stay relatively competitive. So I think you probably have a little bit of Viking bias to this. Um, I, I don't think the Vikings are like, I mean, look, they have a depth issue. They always had a depth issue on their roster. So this year, yeah, they kind of built their roster to be top heavy. So when you lose the top part of it, the depth sucks and you're going to feel it a little bit more. Um, but I mean, look, they lost Anthony Barr. They figured that out. They got Nick Vigil and Blake Lynch out there. It's not as good as Anthony Barr, but I mean, they managed to put together an NFL defense. They lost Irv Smith. Irv Smith is out. Tyler Conklin. He was pretty bad on Sunday against the Browns. So maybe this doesn't feel as true, but they found a way, right? But look, Dalvin Cook is like central to the offense. Like the, the plays that they've chosen to install, the offense that they have decided to be is centered on Dalvin Cook's particular skill set in his own run scheme. I don't think Alexander Madison has that same skill set. So yeah, you're going to feel it. When the good player goes out and is replaced by the backup player, you feel it. That's how it goes. I, I don't think this is like a universal issue around the whole Vikings, nor do I think it's unique to the Vikings outside of the fact that they have a top-heavy roster, which we knew was a problem going in. I don't think that's much of a surprise. Uh, Ivy Strafing has a good interesting one. I think it would be interesting to question the amount of too high being played, which is obviously affecting the run defense. So they're playing a lot of too high safeties, two safeties out of the box, one less guy in the box, run defenses struggle, right? Well, you got to defend the corners. I think that's it, right? I mean, especially when you've got Cameron Dantzler, who is their third option. Chris Boyd's hurt. Uh, Bashad Breland was sick. So Cameron Dantzler in there, and I thought he played well. I I think they might just have a gamer on their hands who doesn't practice well, and they're trying to kind of figure out how to balance that. Um, But if they're going to try to, you know, protect the corner, and also a corner is going to do better when he's protected by a safety. So maybe there's some kind of self-fulfilling prophecy going on here. Um but you have to protect them, and that's what's like keeping Harrison Smith out of the box and deep and, and covering up the, the problems that they have at cornerback. Football's very symbiotic. A problem here becomes a problem there. Forrester asks, how do I become a degenerate gambler so I have a reason to care? Uh, we were talking about 
primetime games, and I like to bet on primetime games to give me a stake in it. If you want to join, if you want to become a, de- a degenerate grambler and uh, have a reason to care about games you otherwise wouldn't really care about, like Monday night, you know, Chargers, Raiders, you can go to betonline.ag. BetOnline is your one-stop shop for all things news, odds, props, you got player props, all sorts of interesting stuff. You can pull up weird parlays. You can bet on the WNBA playoffs. Those are cooking right now. Uh, bet on pro and college football, whatever you want, even your favorite Vegas casino games. So head on over to betonline.ag. If you enter promo code NFL100 when you sign up, which is free to do, uh, no subscription fee or anything like that, sign up for free. Just go to betonline.ag on your desktop or mobile. And when you make your first deposit, enter promo code NFL100 and they'll match your first deposit 100%. That means if you put in 500 bucks to gramble with, they will just plop 500 bucks on top of that in free play money just for using the promo code NFL100 at betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Moving on with the mailbag, Arlo says, why do they keep calling swing passes deep in their own end when the opponent has one timeout left near the end of the half? They did it versus Cincy and Cleveland, cost cost points in both games at the end of the half. Blatant mistakes by Kubiak should be talked about. Um, so I, I would have to go back and look at the plays you're talking about um, and see like exactly what happened on them. Sometimes those swing passes are checkdowns that are the you know kind of last option on the play if things didn't get open, if something didn't work, if there was pressure. So sometimes that's the quarterback making the decision, and sometimes that's the right decision for the quarterback to make. But that that feels like more of a criticism of Kirk than it is of Kubiak. You're not calling the swing pass play often. You know, you're not saying this time I'm going to get the two yard play. The two yard play is usually the floor of a play design that says, all right, if it doesn't work, you get two yards. But really, this was designed to get more. Um, and so why the play calls aren't working, well, that's a much more existential question, right? Why didn't this guy get open? Why didn't this concept work? I think that's a more interesting question to ask, and I don't have the answer to it right now, but we're probably going to talk about it more tomorrow when I do the, the deep kind of film stuff. Nano Garces asks... What's your opinion of what's happening at the end of the first half? Is it a player's problem, concentration, IQ, or is it Zimmer's? Um, I I think Zimmer's gotten better about clock management. I've I've stood up for his clock management a lot in the last... few in the last like year or so um i think the idea you know you get the ball with a minute and a half and everybody wants you to score in two seconds i want you to score in a minute 29 and i think so they're trying to do that they're trying it's the andy reed school of clock management he would get a ton of, of hate all throughout his career about his clock management you've probably heard the meme because he would get the ball with three minutes and 30 seconds left and the they would still have the ball with 25 seconds left and they still wouldn't have scored it was like why aren't they taking timeouts and all that stuff but you don't want to score too fast in those situations as we've kind to learn you give the other team the ball back with 20 seconds that can turn into a field goal so you're trying to bleed clock and they really you really don't like bleeding clock people hate bleeding clock so there's the clock management thing but i think in general there is like this debacle that always happens at the end of the half i think the vikings have been really bad at rally and tackle um really bad at and that's what you do you know when you're And if you think about like the Rondale Moore play right before that big, long Matt Prater field goal at the end of the half uh, in Arizona, they were just really bad at getting out in the, uh, you know, like getting up to the ball, rallying and making a damn tackle. Lots of broken tackles, lots of missed tackles. 
Um, so uh, the the way that two minute drills kind of manifest themselves is different. It's kind of like every plays a third down. There's no run run threat. There's more deep throws. There's more field to cover. But in response, you don't really get to take advantage of any physicality. And I think the way the Vikings are built is is kind of like that exposes some of their worst flaws. And the fact that one of their worst flaws is tackling, I think you can pin that on the coaching and you can pin that on Zimmer for sure. That's, I'm really, really frustrated with the with the, the tackling problems. But it did get better in the last couple of weeks, so maybe that's old news. Navy Vikings says, would, not will, as I'm starting to think he will be out for the season, would Barr make a difference to the run defense? Yes, uh, Barr's very good at run defense. He's good at being in the right fit. He's very disruptive. He's good at penetrating. He can stack and shed blocks very well. Um, he's good at all the run defense things. Um, most people just don't care about that when they're talking about how they want to replace Anthony Barr with Eric Wilson or whatever. Which, by the way, I'm going to take a victory lap on that. Eric Wilson is horrible in Philadelphia. I told you all. <laughs> like, they hate him. Uh, so, yes. And also, it probably should be noted that Mike Zimmer said Barr will play again. He thinks Barr will play against Detroit. He didn't make any promises or anything, but he said he he thinks Barr will be able to play against Detroit. So we're almost there. Um, but, you know, patience is a hard thing to have when you don't know what's going on. And it could be, you know, a three-year injury. It could be a two-second injury. And you don't know anything. And it's easy to just kind of immediately leap to the worst possible conclusion in a defensive pessimism way. It's the Minnesotan way. Anti-Gravity says, why are the same people mad about the Kendricks penalty wanting a Thielen game-ending DPI? Um, yeah, I, I think we are just as a fan base going to be tortured during Hail Marys forever because we got called for a pass interference once on it last year. And now every time somebody touches anybody on a Hail Mary it, and it doesn't get called, we're going to be mad about it. Um, but that's normal. It's normal on the Hail Mary. You're just never going to get pass interference, except I guess when you do. But like that was the ridiculous happening. And we probably like I don't think I want to watch an NFL where they call the where they start calling it like they did on Gronkowski in the Tampa Bay game last year. I don't want to live in that world, so I'm all right with it. Um, but the Zimmer called the Kendricks penalty ticky tacky. I guess I mean it was quick, it was minor, but I don't know. Jersey tug, it gets called. Sorry, that's just it's. There's no real ambiguity about that. You ch you tug the jersey and the ref sees it, it gets called. Uh, Skull or whatever says, do you still have hope for this season? And if so, why? And I'm gonna do two at a time here because Big Head Kirk also says I expected us not to play. Uh, as well offensively, because the Browns have a good defense. I did not expect whatever that was. Can you give me some reasonable optimism? Do I have to be scared every time they play? A, we play a real pass rush. Do I have to be scared every time we don't run well? We're going to do a little therapy here. Uh, so, A, you don't have to be scared of a Vikings game. The worst thing that happens is they lose a game. And they're going to lose games. They, they, they're a football team. Football teams win games sometimes, and then they lose games sometimes. It's just how it goes. Like, you're not going to see a season where the Vikings go 17-0. That's just not how it—that's not going to happen. So don't be afraid of them losing a game. It's an inevitability. Now, will they win enough games to make the playoffs do stuff? I, I don't know. But this is I find a lot of comfort in taking things one game at a time. Do I have hope for the season? Who cares? The Lions are up next. And whatever hope I have for the season is probably going to be influenced by that game anyway. So let's just talk about that game. And then I get to go a little bit deeper into that game and, you know, talk about the Lions beyond just them being a bad team and stuff. And we'll do all that later in the week. Um, but I, I think it's, I don't know, find your joy. There's a lot of people have kind of mentioned some level of like how this game kind of took their energy out of the football season. And I say this a lot. There are two kinds of fans. There are the kinds of fans that like watching football, like watching their team, that just like to watch it. And they're the kinds of fans that like watching their team win. 
And if you're the latter, things get a lot harder. And if you can find joy in being the former, you're just going to have a better time watching football. And ultimately, sports are supposed to be fun. If you're not having fun, you might want to change your outlook. I got a few more questions that I want to get to on this mailbag, but first, let me just thank you again for making Locked On Vikings your first listen every single day. I also want to talk to you about your car. Taking care of your car can get expensive, especially if, and don't do this, but if you, you know, maybe put off a repair, maybe you were worried about being able to afford it, it can get a lot more expensive down the line. Let's say you got, you know, a $300 repair, and $300 might be hard to come by, but you don't want that to become a $3,000 repair later, so let me try to skim some off the top for you with Rock Auto. Rock Auto is a car parts aggregate. They allow you to buy parts directly from manufacturers instead of going to an auto parts store, parts store, you know, a brick and mortar joint, you ask them if they have the part and they've got to get it shipped in and they're going to charge you for that. And it's going to take like two to three business weeks and all that stuff. Forget all that stuff. You got to go get a repair. See if the mechanical will do this for you. Say, I'll bring you the part and can I just pay you for the labor and you can get the part for much cheaper than what they would charge you for on Rock Auto. And it's the same part. They're getting the same thing from the same factory line. You're just buying it directly from them so you can save a buck. You're gaming the system a little bit. So go to rockauto.com, enter your make, your year, and your model. It will sort through all of the car parts they have cataloged, which is an insane amount. And they will give you some options that are all compatible with your car. You can do that at rockauto.com. Com. At checkout, make sure you let them know in the how you heard about us section that Locked On sent you. Because if you don't, the bunnies will have to sell their prized vintage coin collection. Rock Auto, amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Next question comes from Dom Swenson, who says, Who would you place the blame on when it comes to the lack of double teams on Miles Garrett, the players themselves or the coaching? And there were a number of questions like this and kind of discussions about like adjustments and what a teams do. And, you know, why didn't Clint Kubiak change the offense? You scored seven points. You know, why didn't you change things down the line? Things didn't you just try the same thing over and over. It didn't work. What happened? And I disagree with that framing. Look, they tried stuff. They tried everything. Uh, you just didn't notice because nothing worked. I mean, let's go through the the exercise here. Let's say you're the coach, and let's say you're not. It's not Rashad Hill, but let's say you have an offensive lineman that's getting beat. Let's say your high school coach or whatever your your center or your your left guard keeps getting crushed. So you say, all right, well maybe we'll just send a running back in to chip that guy. And you do that, and you, the running back gets a chip on the guy, and he crushes the left guard anyways and gets another sack. All right, well that didn't work. Well maybe we'll do some quick game. And we'll do we'll run a quick slant or something to maybe back the defensive line off and punish that aggression. Uh, or we'll do like a quick swing pass or something like that. And let's say, you know, you run a slant wide receiver gets jammed off the line, doesn't get open and he throws it and it's incomplete or worse. You know, the timing gets messed up and it's another sack. And you say, OK, well, that didn't work. Well, maybe what about a screen? I mean, they're coming so hard. Maybe we can punish that with a screen. So you throw a screen, but because they aren't having to blitz, they have enough people in coverage and somebody can go blow up the screen. They blow up the screen and the quarterback has to turf it or worse. He takes yet another sack. You've tried a whole bunch of things. You've gotten a bunch of sacks and then you turn on the radio after the game and some like radio jockey is saying that you never made adjustments. I, I don't know. Look, at a certain point, you you, you have to win a block. The problem can't be the play call when the things designed to help the play call, the plays you would call or the facets of plays, the elements of plays that you would call to protect Rashad Hill. Rashad Hill still lost the block. I mean, they triple teamed Miles Garrett once and he got a sack. 
I'm sorry, there's nothing else you can do but ask Rashad Hill to stop getting his ass kicked or bench the guy. And once Christian Derrissaw's ready, I think that's what they do. A fate worse than Seth says, why did protection go to hell after the first drive? Looking at some plays, we looked like the Browns started guessing and shooting gaps more later in the game. Our defensive line seems to not be as aggressive up the field as opponents. Were, were the Browns inside our play calls? They didn't have to be because they were better than us. They didn't really do anything all that fancy on defense. They played man coverage. They just lined up guys on guys, and Denzel Ward kept winning reps, and Miles Garrett kept winning reps, and Jadeveon Clowney kept winning reps. I think there's a lot we can criticize internally about like what the players did. And I, I don't mean the play calls or the play designs. I think we should probably move off of play calling for this one and tr try to expand our toolbox of things we could suggest that would have made the game a little better. For example, I think the offensive linemen made some poor decisions with their pass sets. Not necessarily the technique of their pass sets or how they set up, but more when they chose to set further outside or to set deeper or to set somewhere else. I think they made some bad decisions. I'm not sure about that. I got to watch the tape to confirm it, and then maybe we'll talk more in depth about that. But that's something, right? And those are decisions that the offensive line makes. And then they make three bad ones, and they give up a whole bunch. You go back to the sideline and say, hey, why'd you do this? Why'd you do that? And you try to fix the problem with them on the sideline. But once they're out there, you know, you can lead a horse to water. But once Rashad Hill is lined up with his hand, you know, hand on his knees, and he's ready to, to do the next snap, there is nothing you can do as the coach but hope that your plan worked. And if it didn't, and you have to adjust the plan, but then that plan doesn't work, it, there's nowhere to go. Sometimes the answer is to just die. <laughs> that's that's it. Uh, Vikings Disappointment Enthusiast says, If you are Kevin Stefanski, how much do you offer for Kirk Cousins in a trade this year or next offseason? I think it depends a lot on how the next 13 games go, but I think that's a decent idea. Now, I, I was told by a Browns fan in one of the YouTube comments, a Browns fan said that apparently... Uh, Baker Mayfield was, has been nursing a shoulder injury or something, so maybe that's why those balls kept sailing on him. Um, but barring that, I don't know. I, Browns fans seem kind of mixed on Baker Mayfield anyways if they want to move on and they want to get somebody like Kirk Cousins. I, I, I don't know. But Browns might want to do that. Um, that might be a suitor. I think the Colts are a good suitor. <laughs> Washington is hilariously a good suitor, but I'm going to guess that ship has sailed. Uh, Philadelphia might want to do it if they're not happy with Jalen Hurts. There's a few teams out there that I think could be interested in Kirk Cousins in a potential trade. Um, I don't know what the trade compensation would be. It depends so much on who's taking on whose money and how much, uh, you know, what, what the contract turns into and all that stuff. Um, so it, that's a very dynamic question and it's one we'll probably talk about plenty in like January or February. Uh, Waka Waka says, how did the corners play yesterday? Couldn't tell if they were playing well because ba Baker missed so many throws. Um, yeah, so... They, I thought they were okay. Um, I think they were hidden a little bit, like we talked about, with the, the safeties kind of playing over the top of them makes all their lives easier. I thought Patrick Peterson did a pretty good job, um, and I thought that Cameron Dantzler did a pretty good job. Mike Zimmer plays, praised Dantzler as well when he came in for Bashad Breland. Um, I, yeah, I think they did all right. I think I wish you could ask more of them, but considering what they did ask of them, they did that. So I guess, you know, you got to take that for what it is. Moist Mudball Rider asks, ignoring other butterfly effects, this team would be 4-0 and if we landed Trent Williams back in 2020, yes or no? <sighs> Probably not. I don't think uh, just the left tackle is enough to say the Vikings win this game. Too many other things went wrong. Wide receivers weren't getting open. Um, you know, Ole Udo gave up just as much pressure, at almost as much pressure, I think, as Rashad Hill. You had pressures all over the rest of the team. So the rest of the offensive line sucked. If you had Trent, Trent Williams, that would have helped. But I don't think it would have papered over everything. And I, it wasn't the best Kirk Cousins game either. So I don't think you get this game back. Um, the Arizona game... 
Rashad Hill wasn't bad in that game. Like he, I think he gave up one sack to Chandler Jones, but otherwise, like I think he held his own. So maybe that would have made a little bit of a difference, but I guess they only lost by one. So you probably only need a little bit of a difference. And Cincinnati, yeah, if you get rid of Rashad Hill, replace him with Trent Williams and assume that that means you lose all the holding penalties that Rashad Hill committed. Um, and I think there was another penalty, like a formation or something that he committed, then yeah, that game was like defined by its penalties. So if you remove the penalties, you might. So maybe three and one, I'll give you three and one tentatively. It could be two and two, but I think you, I don't know. There's more going on in the game, you know? Uh, Joseph Koffenberg says, is Cousins a great QB or is it always the Lions fault when he looks bad? Um, you don't have to make this a dichotomy. This is why I like to look at plays and I like to qualify before I quantify. What I mean by that is look at a play, determine what happened, say, okay, on that play, Rashad Hill got beat and it ruined the play. And then on all the plays, how many times am I saying that? You know, that's not how many pressures did Rashad Hill give up. It's how many times was the play ruined by Rashad Hill's pressure. And then you can kind of examine his impact that way. Um, And maybe that's not as sustainable or whatever. But I, I prefer to say, okay, sometimes Rashad Hill gives up a pressure but that pressure could have been overcome. Sometimes Rashad Hill gives up a pressure and that pressure couldn't have been overcome. How many of those, like that gives me a better sense of how Kirk Cousins played, right? And a lot of times I have more fun just qualifying the play and not trying to quantify it at all. Just saying, hey, on this one, I think Kirk Cousins could have ripped that pass to KJ Osborne and here's why and I'm going to explain myself and that's going to be what I say. And if somebody else wants to go through and tally up all the times I say whatever, they are free to do so. But I qualify before you quantify. Tell me what is happening before you try to tell me how many times it's happening. Because if you're quantifying before you're qualifying, you're making educated guesses. You're saying, all right, 10 pressures. That probably was 10 plays where Rashad Hill ruined the play. Might not have been, though. Might might have been somebody else's fault worse than Rashad Hill on that one. And I think it's it's important not to take that shortcut. And the last one is Skull, comes from Skull Actuary, who says, Saw Dantzler was rated as eighth corner overall on PFF. Is he really that good? So I don't know if PFF would even defend that um, because it's such a small sample size. They would probably say, ah, you know, wait a few games and then we'll really make it. But I will also say that PFF does not and they stand by this. They do not want to adjust for degree of difficulty. So a cornerback that plays man-to-man coverage against Tyreek Hill is going to be graded on the same plane as somebody who played cover two and passed a uh, route off to the deep, to like to the deep guy. And they're not great at man match, I don't think, um, when it comes to match rules, because everyone's match rules are different, so it's hard to discern. So a lot of times they just default to who was closest to the ball, and that's the guy who counts for the target. And most of their grade is driven by targets. I don't think Cam Dantzler's a top 10 cornerback. Um, he did, he's done well in a limited sample um but you know let's pump the brakes on that so tomorrow we're gonna go deep into the film uh we'll see what we find maybe we'll theme it maybe we'll just kind of do a smattering of thoughts um so thank you so much for making locked on vikings your first listen of the day for your second listen check out the peacock and williamson podcast brian peacock and matt williamson are breaking things down from the national angle doing a great job over there so go check that out you can find me on twitter at luke braun nfl shows on twitter at locked on vikings i will see you all tomorrow and as always skull